This is Janelle Wood, and you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome, friend. The Finding Something Real podcast is designed especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. As someone who's been through my own ups and downs with faith, my desire is to create an invitational place for people to process and address questions about God and Christianity. So if you're not sure what you believe about God, I get that. And if you're skeptical, hey, you've come to the right place. But I invite people to go on a journey with me because I believe Jesus is real and my desire is to share him with you. And today we're diving deeper into season six. We'll go ahead and dive into today's talk in just a moment. But first, a few words regarding stuff that helps keep us on the air. Hi, friend. This podcast is sponsored in part by Faithful Counseling. Life is full of ups and downs, unexpected twists and turns, and sometimes we struggle with all that can come our way. Faithful Counseling will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is also a practicing Christian. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And as someone with a master's degree in counseling psychology and whom at various times in the past 20 or so years has benefited from seeing a professional therapist, I know the value that professional counseling can bring because we all need someone to talk with and Faithful Counseling can help. Please visit faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real to sign up for professional faith-based counseling. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. There's also a special offer for Finding Something Real listeners to get 10% off your first month at faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real. Thanks again to Faithful Counseling for being a sponsor of this episode. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and you are listening in for season six, where we've been starting off each month with a different young woman sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. This month, though, I am personally taking some time off to be with my family And also I have some behind the scenes kind of stuff that I'm working on. So while I'm away, we are featuring some bonus episodes, some special conversations with some young women who've been on this program before. And I wanted to start out this episode by telling you a little story. A long time ago, I hosted a local ladies book club in my home. It was my attempts at making friends. Um, It only lasted a few weeks because ladies stopped coming. And the book we finally chose, I ended up actually throwing out because I didn't care for it. But that's another story for another day. But I remember one of the women who came the first week or two, she recommended a book that she said changed her life. She said it was a book by an author named Francine Rivers called Redeeming Love. Uh, She went on and on about it, and I wish we would have chosen that book back then, but it took me probably another five years before I finally picked up that book for myself and read it. I hadn't read fiction in a long time, but I couldn't put it down. It was an incredible story with grace and gospel woven throughout it. So when we started hosting our exchange daughter from Germany almost two years ago, I knew that she loved reading, and I wanted her to read this book that I had loved um, and that I had heard was going to be made into a movie uh, in 2022. And sure enough, uh, my exchange daughter started reading the book, 
and I think she loved it. And I took her, Leonie, our exchange daughter from Germany, and Zoe from France. Uh, you probably recognize both of those girls because they've been on the podcast before to the movies. And we watched this powerful film. And after watching it, I turned to these girls and with tears in my eyes, I said, um, you know what, though, I will actually ask them if they remember what I said. They probably don't remember the exact words, but one of them is back today, maybe two of them. Leonie from Germany, you're here today. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. Thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited it's too. Been, it's been a while since our last recording, so we'll I see know. how that goes. <laughs> I know it, uh, but you're an old pro. I mean, you've been doing this for so long. Um, Leonie, do you remember me taking you to the movies? Yes. Yeah. But I don't remember what you said. Don't remember. I mean, it was profound. I, I think I had tears in my eyes. And I said, girls, this is how Jesus loves us. And uh, then we went. Do you remember that? Conversations about God. So maybe that's the reason. Yeah. What was that? Say it again because it cut out. Yeah, but we had a lot of conversations about God and faith. So maybe that's the reason I don't remember the exact words that you yeah. had that day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, th this was intermixed with a lot of other parts where we talked about Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I remember taking you guys to that movie intentionally because I knew it would be a beautiful allegory of the gospel. Um, and what did you think of the movie? Well, um, so I talked with my friends a lot about the, uh, about the movie, and it actually became my favorite movie. And I recommend it to all my fam family members and my mom just watched it recently and she told me that um, usually movies don't catch her that much but she cried afterwards and she was like this is like such a powerful story mm. so yeah what did you love about it because Leonie the, the running joke in our family of course is that you didn't like any of our movies uh, <laughs> all the movies we picked you didn't like uh <laughs> So, but, okay, so, okay, but like the listener needs to know that you only watch like really old movies, like, <laughs> <laughs> like black and white old. Oh, that is not true. Dan in real life is not black and white old. It was made in 2008. <laughs> that was a long time. Like, yeah, I was like five. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> yeah, I was so, saying young women, I'm thinking, well, I don't qualify for young anymore. <laughs> like three quarters of a century old you know <laughs> so before we introduce our guest today uh real quick Leonie, um you you left here obviously the listener probably has heard your story before you went through a whole faith journey on here we talked to quite a few different people about jesus we had lots of conversations that you alluded to um before we jump in and introduce today's guest who uh i just you are a young woman, by the way. Um, before, we introduce, before we introduce the young woman at heart sitting with us here, um, where are you at right now on your faith journey? Would you be so kind to share that? Okay, so um, when I came back from America, I think I told you, well, like in the episode that we recorded when I, w when I got back to Germany, um, I told you that... Um, I'm not really like closer to God, but I'm like more interested in, in faith. And um, 
that I'm not like fully like against it anymore. Or like my position that God doesn't exist is not as strong anymore. But since um, I haven't like talked with other people about faith anymore because I'm not really in touch with the topic anymore here in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, it's not really part of my life anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not really talking about it. I'm not really thinking about it anymore. So I don't really know where I'm at right now, actually, yeah. because I don't really think about it. Yeah. Right now it's not relevant. Would that be fair? To no, say? no, no. Yeah. Well, it's I just nothing. Yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, it's just it's just not like a topic that I think about, like, okay, like on a daily basis or something. Yeah. I mean, like still occasionally, but like not really like deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here because, you know, we always talk about God at some point in this podcast and uh you're, I mean, no one's here. This is a spoiler alert, uh, but she's coming back to visit uh, in a couple of months. So maybe we'll get you to talk about Jesus again then too. I don't know. But um, I know that the book slash movie, um, it's, it was powerful. Um, and today's guest is none other than New York Times bestselling author Francine Rivers, uh, the author of Redeeming Love. Francine had a successful writing career in the general market for several years before becoming a born-again Christian. She then wrote Redeeming Love as her statement of faith, a retelling of the biblical story of Gomer and Hosea set during the time of the California gold rush. Redeeming Love is now considered by many to be a classic work of Christian fiction, and it continues to be one of the industry's top-selling titles year after year. It even made it to the Hobby Lobby shelves, which is not a small feat. <laughs> and since Redeeming Love, Francine has published numerous best-selling novels and has earned multiple awards. Francine's novels have been translated into over 30 different languages, and she enjoys bestseller status in many foreign countries. Francine and her husband live in Northern California and enjoy time spent with their grown children and grandchildren. She uses her writing to draw closer to the Lord, and she desires that through her work, she might worship and praise Jesus for all he has done and is doing in her life. Francine Rivers, welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. I was thinking, you know, Leone, when you were sharing, you know, where you are, I'm thinking I was exactly where you are at your age. I mean, I, I didn't become a Christian until my late 30s. Um, and I was raised in the church, but you can be in a church and not really be a, be a Christian and understand the relationship. So, you know, you're probably right on schedule, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and God, you know, you're, you're interacting with a lot of Christians. You may not even realize that you're being wooed and courted by Jesus. Mm. So a lot of it has to do with life experience. You know, I, I had to crash and burn before I ever even looked at God. It's like answers everywhere else, exploring everything else. And the last person that I would go to would have been Jesus. Mm. And the last place I would have been looking for answers would have been in the Bible. So I kind of, I understand where you are. I was in the 60s. I'm from the 60s generation. So <laughs> the God is dead, you know, in that generation. Mm -hmm. So. Tell us a little bit more about that, Francine. Uh, tell us about your faith journey. You grew up in church, you said, but how no. did God woo you uh, 
a young woman who really just was looking everywhere else. Well, I think I think a lot of times when you become a Christian, you look back on your life and you can see where he was there all the time and reaching out, but you were not ready and you were looking elsewhere for all your answers. But, um, you know, we we were um, moving in from Southern California to Northern California. Rick and I were having real struggles in our marriage and I, my identity was really in my writing and I was writing in the general market, steamy historical romances. Um and I know Rick said at one point, you know, if you had a choice between me and the three children and your writing, you'd take your writing. And I thought, yeah, awful as it, as it was, I thought probably, yeah, it'd be like the Cross Creek writer who packed up and left her family and went out and wrote The Yearling. Hmm. So when we moved to Northern California, uh, we were crashing and burning. And a little boy next door helped us move into the house. He kept saying, you know, can I help? Can I help? <laughs> When we finally said, okay, here's some, here's some clothes to carry in. He was saying, have I got a church for you? And it was a few weeks later, I went to that church on the other side of us, we had a lady, you know, so we were kind of the only place for rent was this house between these two Christian families. I don't think that was an accident. <laughs> I went there uh, and I felt like I'd come home because they were preaching um, expository preaching, which is really what's the historical background what are the scriptures saying? And then especially, what does it have to do with me today? Because a lot of people think, well, the Bible is archaic. It's an old book. You know, we don't need to be going back that far, thousands of years to get answers. But to me, it really, it was what I needed at the time. And I thought when I became a Christian, um, Rick and I were, at, I couldn't get Rick to go to church because we had been in a church in Southern California and Jesus had left the building. He wasn't there. Um, and we start, I started a home Bible study because I couldn't get Rick to go to church. And so I thought, I asked the pastor, would you teach a home Bible study? And he said, yeah. So um, he and Rick Hahn is the name of the pastor. And my husband and Rick Hahn now, are, they're very close friends. But it was getting into the scriptures and finding out, what does it have to do with me today? How is it? You know, when I read scripture now, it's like reading current events. You know, you're reading about the world has not changed as remarkably as we think. We go in the cycles. But um, that really changed my writing. I couldn't write. I flat out could not write for about three years. And I think that God was showing me that um, you are getting all of your identification as a person through your work. And that's not who you are. You need to get to know me. You don't know. You say you're a Christian, but you don't even know who I am. Um, so I was reading scripture over and over again. And when it, you know, when the writing ceased to matter to me, we were we happened to be into the minor prophets, and we came to the book of Hosea. And I thought, wow, the gospel hadn't gotten to me as much as that book from the Old Testament did, did because it was really a story about how uh, Israel was with with the Lord, always looking to something else, never going to God. And I really identified with Gomer. So I thought that's exactly like me. God is the last person I look to for answers. The last place I go when I'm hurting or when I'm desperate, not even thinking that he's there. And it was the process of writing that book where I really, um, you know, I wanted it to be an allegory because Michael is really, he's like Jesus and angel is like us, you know, constantly turning away. 
so that that's kind of a capsulized version of of what was going on but it really that writing that book really drew me closer and after that I felt like uh I thought that was going to be the only book I was going to write and that I was going to be working with my husband in his, in his business um Rivers Aviation Services and then I kept thinking I had so many questions about you know how do I share my faith uh, about anger, about I had had an abortion during my college years. You know, is that, uh, am I forgiven for that? Uh, what does sovereignty mean? So almost every book that I wrote after that really was, uh, was my way of asking the question and then going to God and saying, what's the answer and studying scripture and then populating the book with characters that are, are playing out the different roles, the different answers. So it really became a, a way of worshiping God, the writing, because it kept me close. I needed to be close and I needed to be praying and I needed to be studying scripture in order to find the answer to the question I didn't really have an answer for. So anyway. Wow. So one thing that I, I thought was interesting. So I was talking to my mother-in-law about this interview coming up and she goes, Oh, I read redeeming love before uh, before when it was a Harlequin romance. Is that true? Was Redeeming oh, no. Love? Okay, so, so no, clarify. I never, I, never worked for, I never worked for um Harlequin. Harlequin were the line books. Okay. But I did write historical fiction. And when, when I wrote Redeeming Love, I wanted to put the book in the same genre, same time period. I mean, the Bible is a steamy love story about God's love for us. The whole book is about his love for us. It's actually a library of books that um, on another subject, when I, the way I first really experienced the voice of God was reading the one year Bible, because I was reading in the one year Bible, you're reading old, new testaments, and then you're reading a Psalm and you're reading Proverbs at the same time, you're going straight through those four areas of the, of the Bible. And I kept thinking, I'm hearing the same voice, even though there are different people writing them. At different periods of history, I'm hearing one voice through it. I'm seeing connections all the way through it that just were blowing my mind. Um, and then I can't remember what the other question was because I go off on these rabbit trails. Oh, no, it's all right. <laughs> to me, that was so exciting because it's like, oh my gosh, I hear, I can, I can hear his voice through the word of God. Mm. Um, and that really helped me to want to dive in even deeper to see what else was there because it's you where you are. It's like I've read the Bible probably 25, 30 times at least. And every time I read it, I'm getting something new out of it because he, he's talking to you at your specific point in time and where you are in your, your walk. Not necessarily with him, but what life is like at that time. Hmm. Very personal book too. Why didn't you want to write... Uh... The, the love stories you were already writing um, after you became oh, a Christian. They're, they're, they don't have the full story. You know, it's really a man and a woman. And that's the whole focus. But in uh, when I started in Christian fiction, I actually had a lot more uh, freedom with Tyndale House to write about any topic I wanted to write about. We're in the general market. You know, if you're successful in one field, they want a similar book. They want to keep you in the historical genre. They want to keep you in steaming historical romance. But with 
Tyndale, I was able to write historicals and contemporaries and biblical fiction and nonfiction. And, you know, so I they just gave me freedom. Just write what God is telling you to write. Mm. So that was a large part of it. But uh, I with Redeeming Love, now I remember what I was going to say. Redeeming Love, um, I wanted it in the same time period because I had people writing to me during that three years of why aren't you writing? So I wanted the story of Gomer, uh, well, Michael and Angel to be set in the gold rush period because mo- my steamy historical romances were all in California, 1840s up to the 1880s. So I put it there deliberately to, to reach the readers who had been following my career. And it was my opportunity to say, this is, this is why I haven't been writing. This is what I found. Really, it's a still a steamy love story between a man and a woman, but it's more. It's an allegory, and it's to show how deeply, you know, how deeply God loves each one of us and the plan he has and how he can take the worst things in our lives that we've been through, and he can bring good out of it. When we turn all of that over to him, he can turn it around. Like the, when I had the abortion, I thought that, you know, how is that ever going to be a positive thing? But later on, because of what I've been through, I was able to write The Atonement Child, which is a book about looking at abortion from all different aspects. The, the man who didn't have a choice, the, the person that's working in the clinic that thinks that they're really helping women, the woman that's going through it, the rape victim who doesn't have a choice. People are all channeling her toward one, one way of handling the situation. So. It's like he can he can take anything and turn it to good. It's just amazing how he does that. <laughs> yeah, especially with a willing vessel like uh, your hands. <laughs> well, in Redeeming Love, too, I did not know anything about sex trafficking at the time. I thought I was writing about something that was happening, you know, a century ago. Mm. And so it was actually readers that started really educating me and writing to me about, you know, I'd get letters from prostitutes or women that were uh, exotic dancers that were struggling with prostitution on the side or people that had been badly abused as children, battered women, you know, in marriages. And I thought, I had no idea. Um, And so when we did the movie, I wrote the script for the movie and then worked with DJ Caruso. he, He pieced it. He took I had a linear story, which would be too, it'd be too hard to watch that on screen to start out with the whole child story. Um, and from that, we we wanted to really reach the people that don't know anything about Jesus at all. We wanted that to reach people in the general market, people like Leone, to show them, you know, this is how deeply God, you know, Michael is just trying to live a Christ-like life. But in the book, you know all the stuff that's going on in his head, the struggle. You can't do that in a movie. You have to kind of show it. But we also, uh, DJ's wife, Holly, um, wanted to start a foundation. First, we were talking about, well, should we start a house with the proceeds? You know, everything that I've made from Redeeming Love from the very beginning has always been first fruits. But you know, I wanted a better way to pick the right people that are doing the right kind of work because sometimes you get burned. And so uh, we talked about different things we could do. And then Holly was saying uh, she started the foundation, Redeeming Love um, Sanctuary was the original name, but it's Redeeming Love Foundation. And so everything that I make from Redeeming Love minus taxes goes into that foundation. And we're 
uh, funding grants to um, groups that are in ministry on the front lines with the survivors of sex trafficking. But I mean, it's been a real learning experience of how God has used that book. You know, that I had nothing to do with it. It's just that he was opening doors and and using that book as kind of a first contact where people have been deeply wounded and hurt. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Leone, did you know any of this? No. Pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. I have a question. I have a, so I have a question to you. Um, Do you um, use writing to process everything God is telling you or like, to work with his like words or like use that as a guidance for your books? Very much so. And I mean, redeeming love is loaded with scripture, hopefully in such a way that you don't even recognize it as scripture, because I don't want to be, I don't want to stop. It's time for a sermon here. I want it to be so uh, part of the story that it just flows right into it because it's my worldview. So it kind of, for me, it's everything. And my opinion, too, is if you're a Christian writer, the story will not stand without Christ in it, in the middle of it. There are, are Christian writers that, um, there are some that are Christians who write, and the story, if you took the Christianity out of it, it would still stand. But I don't think, I don't think my books could, because it's so much a part of it. Like, And the shofar blue is all about how do you build a church? Because I was seeing so many churches fall. There's so many uh, pastors are, uh, you know, pastors are a target for Satan. I mean, if you get the pastor, sex, money, power, any one of those things are a huge temptation for a pastor. You get the pastor in the middle of sin like that. It destroys the whole body of Christ in that particular congregation. You see it in the Catholic church. You see it in the Protestant church all the time. So I, that story for me was, how do you build a healthy church? And it, and it really came out of, um, after I wrote that book, I was, that led me into writing about um, men from scripture, like instead of focusing on the main guy like Moses, focus on the secondary one, Aaron, you know, where, or and instead of David, focus on Jonathan, the people behind the scenes that are kind of upholding, praying, and and you know confronting when necessary the guy that's in the limelight because we need that in our churches. We need accountability, and they don't always have accountability. Mm-hmm. So it's like every project is sort of an exploration for me of that wow. question that's just bugging me that I can't get past. Like the project I'm working on right now is. You know, what's the cost of revenge? Because we see revenge everywhere right now in social media. You know, somebody says something and then there's the attack and we see it globally. We see it in our, especially here in what's what's happening in our own country, Um, cities being destroyed because people are angry over the past and there has to be a healthier way to do what's the cost of revenge. So that's what I'm exploring right now. Anyway, hope that hope that kind of answers. Yeah, <laughs> I tend to go off on all. So, Francine, do you still write for people like Leone, or who would you say that you write for? I I think I well I I would say I'm a selfish writer because I'm trying to figure things out for myself. But I think because I'm trying to figure things out, 
I know there are a lot of other people out there like Leone who are trying to figure things out too. Mm-hmm. You know, is there a God? And if so, is he a personal God or did he kind of create everything and then step back and say, go ahead and see what happens. Um, so I try to be completely honest with what I'm doing, yeah. showing both sides and all the other sides, like especially with uh, Voice in the Wind was the first book I wrote after uh, Redeeming Love. And that was really about how do I share my faith with unsaved family and friends who don't want to read the Bible and they don't want to hear about Jesus. So how do you talk about faith with that? And a lot of times it's not what you have to say, it's how you live. Friend, if you're enjoying this episode, you may also enjoy exclusive bonus content each month. Finding Something Real is a podcast that has some costs associated with it. We have a website, monthly subscriptions to stay organized. We design things. We like to pay an assistant producer who keeps things going around here, that kind of stuff. We're not in the business of trying to make money, but we are in the business of wanting to keep this show going and be sustainable. So we use Patreon. And if you haven't heard of it, Patreon is the best place for creators to build memberships by providing exclusive access to their work and a deeper connection with their communities. Each month, patrons who support Finding Something Real get a bonus episode where we recap the month's episodes. Often those episodes feature our co-hosts and they will often share what this journey was like. There's other perks over there too, and it's easy to get involved. Just go to findingsomethingreal.com and click support at the top of the page. We'd love to have you over there in our Patreon community. Because I think people like Leonie are watching Christians. You know, how do they behave? What does their life look like? And a lot of Christians, their lives don't look very good. Sad to say, you know, there are a lot of people that talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. I am curious how you'll answer this question. So I'm wondering how you bridge the gap of telling Christian stories to a secular audience. Um, I was at a Christian writers conference a few years ago, actually in California. um, And one of the keynote speakers who also writes historical fiction, um, she talked about having to put a line in the sand, so to speak, that if you work on your craft enough, you shouldn't have to put in things like foul language or steamy scenes um, because you're going to either alienate this group or this group. You have to you have to decide, basically. Do you think that's true? And is what you write, do you find too much for some people and not enough for others? Like, how do you bridge that gap? That's a good question. For one thing, I try not to focus on the audience, per se, because the audience of one is the one I'm writing for. And, you know, I don't stick bad language in there to appeal to the general market because I don't, you know, I, you don't really need it. It's harder to write a steamy love scene um, without being graphic. There's a difference between being explicit and being evocative, you know, as in the case of, I mean, I, there was a lot of hullabaloo when Redeeming Love came out. Yeah, there was one one denomination I think that said it was pornographic, and and the things that they wrote about it, I thought, what movie were they watching? Because she, you never saw her naked, but they were saying she's naked. You know, she's this and she's that, and it's like you never saw any of that. Yeah, a lot of it's in the mind, uh, and also I think people tend to focus on the things that bother them or that they're struggling with. Um, I think you have to write true 
to what you've been called to write. And the, the situation now that's difficult is they have sensitivity editors. <laughs> and I know I have friends that have been caught by that. They're writing true history. They're writing accurately. They're writing, very, you know, beautiful story. But they're being, you know, they, you'll have, in one case, there were 65 readers and 64 of them thought the book was great. The last one was a sensitivity editor and wanted it changed. And the way she wanted it changed would have changed history. And the writer said, I can't do that. But the publisher pulled the book. Mm. So I think it's, um, I think that it'll swing the other way because it's it's not going to work. I mean, you you need truth in, in fiction too. So I, I think you just have to focus on your story and you have to write true to what you believe. Is that ever hard for you? Because I do know that there was a lot of hullabaloo or whatever you would call it, yeah. uh, especially from the Christian community Yes, um, that you said um, when Redeeming Love came out. Um, you love Jesus. Obviously, he's changed your life. And, uh, you know, as you were sharing with Leonie and I just now, uh, your writing is a form of worship. Um, so do you, are you so anchored to him that you know that between you and him, things are good and you're confident in that? Or when things like that come up, does it ever shake you a little bit and you think, oh, what am I doing here? Well, I think sometimes you have to take a look at it and think, okay, did it cross the line and look at it honestly? And then I'm, for one thing, I don't get involved in social media. So a lot of what I, um, what I know was going on was told to me by the publisher or other people. Uh, and I felt like I waited for quite a while before I responded because I didn't want to react. Um, I wanted to respond in a, in a Christian way to really think it through and pray about it before I explained why there were specific scenes, what it was necessary. What surprised me, I think, more than anything is the scenes that were the most objected to by Christians um, had to do with the married love scene between Michael and Angel. And he marries her first. First, Well, first of all, he buys her out of slavery, sex trafficking, being trafficked. He marries her. He woos her for months until she's ready to be his wife fully. And then they consummate the marriage. That scene is the scene that bothered people the most. What didn't bother them was an eight-year-old child being raped by a grown man. And that kind of blew my mind. I mean, if they, if they were going to object to anything, I would think that would be what would bother them the most. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, people are where they are. And you sometimes you just can't defend it. You can explain, here's why we did it the way we did it, and then let it go. How do you deal with uh, that from when you're writing to people who maybe like Leone are looking on the outside, they're looking at the Christians, right? And they yeah. see that kind of response by the Christian community, not all, but some. Yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, I want nothing to do with this Christianity when there's such like, maybe Leonie would never think this, but maybe someone who had grown up in church would look at this and say, that's why I left church, right? Like, I don't want anything to do with that stuff. Um, how do you encourage yeah. people back towards Jesus when it looks muddy and messy and 
when Christians don't act very Christian-like towards each other sometimes? Well, the main thing is to keep your eyes on Jesus. I mean, if you've watched The Chosen, <laughs> yeah, the, Dallas Jenkins putting together is so it's so realistic. I think in the in the way people are with each other, but um, yeah, it, I did the same thing. I mean, when I was younger than Leone, I saw hypocrisy in the church that I was growing up in. And it wasn't everybody. It was a few. It wasn't even the pastor. But I judged the entire congregation by what I was seeing in those few people. And so I left the church. So it's like, I, you know, in, in a sense, I was being a hypocrite because I was, you know, zeroing in on the few that were that way without looking at the rest that were living Christ-like lives and, and love Jesus. So it's like, try not to judge Christians. We're all sinners. Even though we're saved, we're still going to sin. We're still going to mess up big time. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look at his example. You know, read about his life and the way he was, because he was perfect. We are not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, they uh, non-Christians don't understand about grace, but it's, you know, even Christians who are, end up hurting each other at times, you know, show a little grace to each other. That's why I didn't want to react. I wanted to really think about it and write about, okay, here's why I wrote the way I did. Wasn't meant to offend anybody. Wasn't meant to be against anything. It was meant to show truth and show the the way she was treated in the sex trafficking industry, as opposed to how Christ intended sex to be between a husband and wife. You know the beauty of that, the, the plan that God had, and how He can take even the stuff that happened to her before turns to good at the end because she's reaching out. She can reach out and come alongside a child because she's lived that way. She knows what that child is going through and she can draw people out of that life and help them. And I've, I've seen this over and over again in the ministries that we're talking to, you know, about grants. It's like there's so many people out there where they were in that lifestyle and yet now they've come out and they're working with others to bring them out too. Any thoughts on that, Leonie? I was just just thinking about um, what she said about the critique from from Christians regarding the the scene from Michael and Angel after they got married. Um, what was what was the critique about? I told I forgot about it. Oh well, it, it, when that, he, that the scenes were too graphic. Well, I think that's what they were feeling because they were seeing more. It's the same thing in, in reading and in a movie. Sometimes you see what you're expecting to see. Because, so because it's not really me, what you're actually looking at. Yeah, but because to me, that was actually a good part of the movie that it, to me, it showed how strong his faith is because he like constantly resisted the temptation of Angel being there. Yeah. And I mean, she she wanted to have sex with him all the time and he resisted and he was like, no, I'm, I have to wait until marriage. And I feel like what I really like about this movie is that it's it's about scripture. It's about faith, but it's like for everybody, not just about the scripture. It's not like, well, just like straight in your face. That's how it's written in the Bible and that's how you need to do it. It's just like like kind of like hidden messages. And I feel like that's the reason the movie is for everybody, not just for Christians. Yeah. And I really like the balance that you created with that story. Oh, thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah, well, I wanted to show that, you know, sex is best when you really love one another and you're committed to one another. Because I know that there are a lot of people that are hurting because they're, they're sort of, I know here in America, there's that kind of hookup idea that, well, mm -hmm. they're looking for their Mr. Right, but, um, or Mrs. Miss Right in all the wrong places. Because when you have sex with somebody, there's a bonding there that God created. And, it, and if it isn't committed, sticking together, it kind of tears off pieces of you takes away pieces of you. Francine, what's the best feedback you've ever received? Um, oh, it makes the... people dive into scripture. That's yeah. what I love. If they say, okay, I read this and I was really curious about it. And I went back into scripture to see if it was there. That is what I want people to do. It's like fiction, Christian fiction, especially it's meant to be a bridge to the real thing. It's meant to in, it's meant to make you hungry and thirsty for what you know. Is this is this real? Is this story, like of Michael and Angel, real? And then investigate, and dig in for yourself and find out because it's all about Christ. Do you find? Because I I've read the book and I've seen the movie. Leonie, you've read the book too, haven't you? Or did you you read like half of it? I read half of it and then we watched the movie and then I knew how it would end, so I didn't finish it yeah do you find Francine that people that just watch the movie that they they catch the spiritual undertones as much as from the book because I know the book is a lot more that was one of the things that came out too you know a lot of the Christian element was taken away Leonie just said she kind of liked that the fact that it wasn't yeah. in your face it was still there but it it definitely was uh you know not like it was in the book so do you feel like the message still came across in the movie? Were you pleased with the end result? I was very pleased with the end result. I think my favorite scene in the movie is where she where she's going on stage and she dives into the water. Um, and that was DJ Caruso put that together, that scene, because we were trying to figure out how do we do this scene to get it across of what's happening here, that she's making her choice. And then God meets her right at that moment and tells her, says, tells her through her mother, you know, her vision of her mother, you know, just tell the truth, stand and tell the truth. Um, this, the scene where she grabs the necklace underwater. Yeah. Yeah. That was my favorite too. Yeah. That's not, it's not, it's not in the book. What the neat, what I like about the book, you know, cause you've got two different art forms here. You've got the book and you've got the movie and they're very different, but with the book, I was able to show more of the spiritual battle going on because she's hearing, she's hearing Duke's voice over and over again, like Satan, just constantly the lies that he fed her, you know, that she's good for nothing else except sex and all that kind of thing that people that have been through that trauma, um, that's the way they think of themselves. They're not good for anything else. You know, I'm unredeemable. I'm, I'm unloved. You know, I'm not worthy. That's all lies that she's being fed. And then and then Michael is hearing the voice of Christ instructing him kind of how to love her in a way to woo her back. And the temptation, you know, I mean, he's married to her. He's been married to her for months, but he's waiting for her to love him. Because if she doesn't love him, it's just sex. It's not a consummation of a marriage and a real love relationship. Mm. But you have more freedom with 
fiction, writing a novel, because you can go into the head stuff. You're inside their minds and you see what, what they're struggling with. So did you <laughs> did you write the screenplay or were you yes. contributing to it? Oh, so you... Yeah, I wrote it. Well, originally, we it took 30 years to get this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we had several different companies and they would hire a script writer and I'd read the script. Yeah, because I it was important to me to have that control in the contract. I had to give approval and they never got Michael. It was always the guy was coming on to her, you know, and he was sexy and all that stuff. It's like, that's not what this is about. This is about something bigger than all that. Um, so I wrote, I got some books on script writing and I thought, I'm just going to write an example of what I'm looking for. And so I wrote the script and gave it to him. They went, oh, well, we'll take this. <laughs> and then I got to work with DJ and of course DJ knows how to make a movie. So we worked together and we, we co-authored the final uh, script that we used for the shoot. Wow. So it was great working with him, you know. Hmm. Um, how did you know that you were meant to be a writer? I knew I was going to be a writer from the time I was a little girl. I just didn't know what I would write because I did not like to read. <laughs> I was not a good reader. That was not the way I chose to spend my time. I'd rather be out, you know, riding a bike or swimming or hiking or whatever. Um, but I knew I was going to be a writer. And I only I only know one other person, uh, you know, in, in, from growing up years, another boy in my class, he wanted to be a ship's captain. And he knew that from the time he was a little boy and he became a ship's captain. He was a captain of the big tankers that go all over the world. Um, but I, I just knew that's what I was supposed to be, but I didn't, I went to college. I majored in English with an emphasis in literary writing and minored in journalism because I didn't know what it was going to be, you know, what kind of writing I was going to do. And actually I didn't learn to write in college. I learned to, to write by reading and it was Rick's family. They're voracious readers. And his mom started passing uh, historical fiction and gothics and mysteries and all. I thought, oh my goodness, this is fun because my parents were nonfiction readers, and they they literally built our house from the ground up. My father was a policeman, my mom was a nurse, and so they were reading nursing. She was reading nursing journals. He's reading how to build a house, and he wrote uh, two books on police work, um, but nonfiction, and that wasn't that wasn't what hit me. But when I started reading fiction, I thought, oh, this is what. I like, and then I was reading Harlequins. You mentioned Harlequins. And a couple of them, I thought, I think I could write something like this. And Rick said, well, go ahead and try. So I laid out a, a Western Gothic romance because I thought I didn't know you weren't supposed to write in several genres. <laughs> and, um, but that book eventually published because it was at a time when they were looking for romance writers. So I kind of entered the market when they were hungry for writers. And then... God took it from there. I think he was training me for writing Redeeming Love and moving into that market. Because same thing when I wrote Redeeming Love, um, that was the last, it was published in the general market by Bantam and I got the rights back and then I was able to do some editing on it and it, then it was put out by the Christian market. By okay. okay, so it was in the general market first. Was it different? Originally, yeah. And was there it was different then. Tell me the it difference. It was a little bit different because I could not have a conversion scene in the original. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and there was, I think, one four-letter word in there, which was appropriate in the scene, but you know, would have stopped everybody in the Christian market. They would have, they would have seen that, you know. So it's like, okay, take that out. Um, and it, it wasn't necessary, uh, but I did a little bit of editing and then we published it at Multnomah. You mentioned a couple of times, a couple issues with the Christian market, you know, obviously the historical stuff that, yeah. you know, there's at sensitivity screeners now. And uh, I, I mentioned the speaker that I, you know, heard say you have to choose a side and, uh, you know, the four letter word that can't go into that. Where do you see the Christian market going in terms of, you know, fiction, especially, and um, wh where would you like to see it go? Well, I, you know, I've been in the market for over, what, for 35 years or something. I think uh, Redeeming Love is over 30 years now. And what I've seen is that it's opened up. The Christian marketplace for writers has opened up. So they have all different genres where they didn't in the beginning. They had very, very few. Because, because I think in, in the early days, Christians tended to think that, well, fiction is not real and therefore it's not uh, something that should be sold. It should be nonfiction, you know, how to live as a Christian, uh, those kind of books. But then they realize that, you know, Jesus used stories. Fiction has real power to present the gospel message and to explain what it's all about. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the sensitivity editor thing will go its course and will end because people want truth. And that's not the true. That's not true. When you're pulling out things that are historical but are offensive, that's not truth. It's like if you want truth, then it, tell the whole story. Tell the good and the bad, you know, because nobody is perfect. You know, even Washington, you know, even Washington, they, the, the statues they're tearing down, they're tearing down because there's one thing about one aspect of their life that they didn't like, but they don't look at the whole life. Um, so I think, I think we'll move back toward that. Yeah. And I some houses that are not going to give into that. They're going to want truth. They're not going to want to, you know, pick things out. Mm. That's my hope anyway. When people pick up a Francine Rivers uh, novel, and they leave it, what's the one thing you want them to take away from your writing? That God loves them. And that if you need answers, go to God to find them. Yeah. Leonie, any thoughts uh, before we wrap up here? Anything that you want to add to this conversation? Any question about the movie or any final things? No, I think they will, the question come to me later. After the, the recording, <laughs> well, well, send them on, send them on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you know. I still have questions. That's the thing about you know being a Christian. You know, we we become a Christian. We believe in Jesus, but then we have a lot of growing to do. There's a lot of things to explore, and you know why why is this happening or why is that happening? And you you won't have full answers to everything. You, you won't get them in the world, and you won't necessarily get them you know from faith either because there's some things that are going to be a mystery um, that we have to work out but it, it's sure a better way to live from my experience because mm. <laughs> I know where I can go and who I can ask and get you know honest answers um 
what what difference has having Jesus in your life made? If you, you didn't come to Christ until your late thirties, so you had you had some time to enjoy life uh, free from all that. Yeah. Uh, what difference has it made uh, becoming a well, Christian? Well, I, I think people tend to think that if I become a Christian, I have to give this up and give that up and give you know drastically change. And it's like I look back on my life and the things that used to matter so much to me don't they don't matter to me at all anymore. You know, the desire to become rich and famous, you know, it's um, there. I have more peace in my life and I have more uh, deeper relationships, I think. So and it, and just just having that uh, relationship with Christ and it it changes, you know, it grows. So I can hardly wait to the end. <laughs> <laughs> I know where the I know where the end of the story goes, you know, so I don't have to I don't have to fear any of that, you know, and I think there are a lot of people that have that fear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's coming? What's at the end of the road? Have you, have you written a novel yet about that, about what happens when you die? No. No, I I know right now, you know, uh my husband Rick, I well Rick and I have known each other since 5th grade. We were friends before we were lovers. Um, but he's, he has Parkinson's from Vietnam, from Agent Orange. Mm. So that disease, of course, is an advancing disease. And, you know, we're doing a lot of talking and thinking about, you know, what does the future hold? And we know God holds the future. And he meets us at every challenge that we have coming up. It's like, okay, what am I learning through all this? You know, because, you know, he doesn't make us sick. But he can use that to draw us closer to him and to bring things out of us that we that we need to learn and strengthen us through things that we think are going to break us. Yeah. Yeah. I have one more question. Um, so was there was there like one event that made you seek Jesus um, or was it just like a long journey of um, interacting with Christians and then coming to Jesus through them? It was actually a long process. And I wouldn't say that it was other people more than it was God drawing. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, uh, I look back and I see how people were in my life and were kind of encouraging me along that road. But that wasn't really what got to me. It was literally not having any place else where I felt that I could find any answers or any peace in my, in my life. And it was through Christ, but uh, it took time. I know, I know there's some Christians where they have that moment where all of a sudden it's, it changes them completely. That's not how it happened for me. And I think there, there are different ways of coming to Christ. Uh, and there are times, I think probably your life is very busy now. So it, you feel like, well, it, it doesn't matter at this point, but there will come a time in your life where all this is going to make sense to you. So I think he's drawing you without you even realizing it. And, you know, when when you do come to Christ, because I think you will eventually, it'll all make sense. It, it's like you don't, none of it makes sense before you have the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden you, you see life from a whole another perspective. Because you have, you literally have the mind of Christ. When you, when you accept Christ completely, you receive the Holy Spirit, and that changes the way you see everything. I couldn't see that, you know, the, the scarlet thread or however you want to put it. That And there there's a book in there. <laughs> I'm not 
trying to promote my books, but the Scarlet Thread was really about that. These two women in different points of history, one is gold rush period and having having to leave because her husband wants to go west. And then there's a modern day person who's going somewhere because her husband has a new job and is dragging her along with that. And it's like, how do, how do you do this? Um, and of course, Rick and I were moving to Southern California. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of my struggle incorporated in the story, but um, yeah, it just, you just see it all from a, it's like all of a sudden your eyes are open to what's been going on since you were a child. It's like, wow, he was always there and I never, never knew it, never had any idea. And now when I look back, I can see that he was always there. And he always will be there. Kind of a long answer. Do you have a follow-up to that? I am a novelist. (laughs) I've never (laughs) learned how to do pithy little short things. (laughs) Uh, That was a great answer. I have a selfish uh, question, actually, Francine. I'm just going to ask it since we have a couple minutes here. Um, What do you, what is your daily discipline as far as writing goes? Like how from a practical standpoint do you do what you do because you are a prolific author you've written quite a few books uh you've got some sort of system in place that's working what what is your secret there is no secret (laughs) it's just i will for one thing rick and i start our day with with scripture and and doing our devotional time together and praying together and then when i'm working on a book i'm doing a lot more study because i feel like i need to be shaped by what God is telling me uh, before I sit down at a computer. And then literally, you know, the, the hard part is plant yourself in your seat and do the work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Little, you know, Rick used to tell me all the time, like, think of the mouse that ate the elephant. If, if I look at, I'm going to write a book, I'm forget it. I won't even start because it's too massive a project for me to even involve myself in. But if I look at it, uh, I can do three or four pages today then it's manageable. And then, you know, just working straight through it. I know some people do different scenes and put it all together. I just start on page one because I don't know where I'm going. So I start on page one and just gradually build the story. Hmm. Back over the three pages, do some editing there and then move forward another few pages. And it takes me anywhere from a year to a year and a half to do a book. Well, you're inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll start writing tomorrow. I, I heard uh, Bodie Taney said, if you write, you know, one page a day, you have 365 pages at the end of the year. That's a book. That is that is a book. Yeah, one page a day. Oh, well, maybe that dream isn't completely dead. <laughs> no, no. Leone. Well, you never know. You know, you, it, it, life is a training ground, too. He could be training you to start writing, you know, later on. Yeah. That's true. You know, that voice in your head that goes, Oh my gosh, I'm in my forties already. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm like, Oh, how did I ever get to 70? How do I have kids that are getting close to 50? It's like, how did that happen? I've got a great grandchild now. Oh my word. (laughs) Life goes pretty fast. I used to hear from Rick's grandmother used to say, you get to the top point you know in your mid 40s or something and then it starts going faster and it does you know rick and i go wow i I was in israel i turned 50 in israel 
and we were with a, a group from our church and uh, we went out that day and and our pastor was saying well we're going to go out and see a lot of historical you know relics and, oh speaking of relics franny turned 50 today <laughs> <laughs> that was you know how many years ago was that yeah. it's just time really does go fast do you feel any different on the inside though i love asking people that question no mm -hmm. no i don't think so where do you think you're stuck like if you could guess like the the age that you're like your spirit is permanently edged like i think probably around the time that i first came to christ because i still have a lot of questions to answer you know still have a lot of things to investigate yeah. Um, but then, you know, then there are times you feel like you're 16 and then you want to you want to take one of those five mile hikes and then you get about a half mile into it and go, nope, I'm 76. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> I had an aha moment the other day. I'm 42 and uh, our 16 year old exchange daughter. I love her, uh, but she's very much a 16 year old. And um, I, you know, she wanted to do something and she called me when she was with the boy that she wanted to do stuff with on speakerphone. And of course I said yes, because what am I going to do? She's calling me with the boy. I don't want to be a jerk, right? Yeah. But inside I'm like a little annoyed, right? And so yeah. she comes home and I let the boy stay outside. I will say his name because he hasn't agreed to be on the podcast and that wouldn't be right. <laughs> My mother-in-law is like, <laughs> you know, he's got a name, Janelle. I'm like, I'll just call him the boy. So anyway, I, you know you can stay outside for a minute. And then I come inside and I talk with her about, Hey, I'm a real person too. And uh, next time call me separately and all this stuff. And I had this moment, I'm not going to lie, where I'm like, I am an old lady. When did I become the person who's lecturing someone about like, don't do it this way. My mother, you know what I mean? Like I'm hearing my mom's voice coming out of my work. Anyway. Oh yeah. It was a really crazy moment, but I was genuinely hurt. And then all of a sudden I related more to my mother than I did the 16 year old right in front of me. Of course I let her go. But anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have those moments. <laughs> we never had those moments. Did we Leone? Well, right. The, the comforting thing is, is all of our young kids grow up and then they are going to have those moments too. I know. I hope I see I hope my daughter, so. you know, my daughter um, has two kids and she raised them. <laughs> She's a far better mother than I was, you know, <laughs> but really organized because she homeschooled both of them. And one is now in the Air Force and, and married, and he's the one that's provided us with our great granddaughter. Mm. And then the other one is the granddaughter is in Korea in the army. It's like, how did that all happen? Wow. And she would say, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> wow. Oh. Yeah. Well, Francine, we always ask one final question. The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Real is an acronym for that. Restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Of those four things that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, which stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? Oh, golly. I think authenticity that just popped up, you know, when you were saying that, I mean, I know he's love, God is love, but authenticity, I think we're all looking for truth and transparency. And you find that in Christ. Yeah. No question. Yeah. Keep your eyes. Wow. Don't look around. Don't expect perfection from Christians. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Francine Rivers, Leone, Zoe, I'm so sorry. We love you too. When you're listening to this later, I apologize. It didn't work out. Uh, but I'm so grateful for all three of you for wanting to be here, for being here, for giving of your time. And um, yeah, Francine, thank you for the, your writing. Thank you for influencing generations of people who uh, see the gospel beautifully depicted in your story. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. I'll be praying for you, Leonie. <laughs> <Here. laughs> Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.